0: Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Barker, pastor here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I would like to personally thank you for taking out time today to tune in to our preaching podcast. We hope that this message will be a great encouragement to your heart today. Look with me in Ephesians 6, and I'll just let you stay seated tonight, and I'm going to pick up reading in verse number 10 again. The Bible said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And just briefly, that that's what we've got to remember. It's not our might tonight. It's not what we can do, but what Christ can do through us tonight, amen? And uh, that finally is that at last, or for the future, he's saying what Paul is saying um, to the church at. Ephesus, you've got to remember in the future, if you try to do things in your own power, you're going to fail. Um, But you've got to do it in the power of the Lord. He goes on to say in verse number 11, put on the whole Armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Again, that we put this on. Um, we put on the armor of God. When we got saved, the Holy Ghost moved inside of us, amen. And that's where he indwells. But he is saying with this armor, it's for us to put on, and it's not our armor, because again, within ourselves we would fail. It is the armor of God. It goes on to say in verse number 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God note that again he says not just part of it you need the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and Having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the devil. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. Of God. Now, I'm interested in that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And uh, that will conclude each piece that we've looked at through this series. Father, help us tonight. God, if it be your will, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm the sword of the Spirit tonight. Romans 13, 12 says this. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of dark." this and let us put on the armor of life. Up until this point in our study, all of the armor that, has, that we have studied, that we have looked at has been a defensive weapon. The girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. It has all been defensive gear thus far. Listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says. For the word of God is quick. That word quick right there don't mean that it's quick like my Ford truck. Amen. Can I get an amen? That's, I need an amen before I move on. Give me an amen brother Aaron. Now, brother Robert, you drive a Ford truck. Give me an amen. Alright. Brother Kevin, give me an amen. Brother Corey, he joined the family Pray He's got right. Well, never mind, Brother Tim. It's quick. (laughs) What it means by that is this. That it's alive. Whenever you cut your fingernail and you cut it into the what? The quick it hurts. Why? Because you got into the living part of it. The word of God is living tonight. Then it goes on to say that it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints of morrow is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the word of God tonight we use the first five weapons of the armor to protect our From the assault of the enemy But we use the sword To attack the enemy The other weapons are To keep him from attacking us But the sword tonight Which is the word of God Is what we use to attack the enemy The word of God Is our only offensive weapon We have five weapons To defend against the enemy But only one weapon To defeat the enemy Only one only one weapon. The Word of God is our only solution to defeating the enemy. In Matthew 4 we see Jesus use his sword. It is the best illustration we could consider about how to use the sword of the Spirit tonight. I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter number 4 now. Matthew chapter number 4 and I want to read you a few verses right here out of Matthew chapter number 4. You that knows your Bible knows the account that I'm going to read to you. But let me read it anyway. Matthew chapter number 4. The Bible says this. And of course, this is the temptation of Christ. You find it in Mark and you find it in Luke. But here's what he says in Matthew 4. Then was Jesus led up in the Spirit, I'm in verse 1, into the wilderness uh, to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... He was afterward uh, hungered. And when the temper came to him, uh, he said, if thou be the Son of God, uh, command these stones to be made bread. He didn't say he wasn't the Son of God. He just said, if thou be the Son of God. He's casting doubt on the Word of God. It's the same trick that he used in Genesis chapter number 3. If, if. If, if thou be the Son of God. He goes on to say this. And when the tempter came, he said, If if thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He again in verse number six says, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Again in verse number seven, it is written again. He comes to him again in verse number eight, in verse number nine, and tempts him. And in verse number ten, watch what Jesus says again. It is written. Jesus uses the word of God uh, to war off Satan. Matthew chapter number four, verse number one says this. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When you study that word led up out, it means this, to push as wind in a sail. In Mark chapter number one, verse number nine, he says immediately the spirit driveth him uh, into the wilderness. That word right there when studied out in the Greek means this, to eject, to cast forth, to expel. God arranged for this temptation or testing of Christ in the wilderness. God arranged that. We could go back and we could look at Abraham. God tested Abraham, God tested Job. We can look at numerous ones that God had tested. And God leads Jesus to this testing point in his ministry. Ah, uh, Now you may ask this question, why would God test him? Well, let me give you just two or three things by way of introduction. To demonstrate that he is our compassionate high priest. To demonstrate that Hebrews two eighteen says this, for him that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. That word secure right there. Here's what it means. It means to aid, to relieve, to help. Why was Jesus led apart? Here's the reason why to demonstrate to us our compassion, a high priest, He was tempted like we was yet without sin. So he knows what we're going through. not only that, but to demonstrate Satan's devices, to demonstrate the way that Satan would tempt us. I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you this question. If Satan would tempt Christ, don't you think he'd tempt us? I mean, if he really thought that he could take Christ down, do you think that we live above the snake line tonight? There's no way. It was to demonstrate Satan's devices. You know what they are? It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that every sin can be traced back to that thing right there. So how are we going to overcome that? With the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. He was to demonstrate Satan's devices. It was also this, to demonstrate how to handle the sword of the Spirit. How do we use this tonight? How do we handle this tonight? How do we, and I, when I say handle, I'm not talking about, and you all know that I believe in taking care of the Word of God. Amen. Uh, uh, but I, I believe in having the best that there is. Matter of fact, you don't want to know how much money's tied up in that Bible right there. But anyway, the sword of the Spirit. How do we handle it? How do we use the Word of God? If, if we are going to uh, win this battle against Satan, uh, if, if we're going to excel in uh, being the soldier that we need to be, we need to know how to handle the only offensive weapon that we have. I guarantee you, if you us talk to Ryan back there tonight, brother Ryan, uh, he could tell you exactly how to handle the weapon that he carries every day on duty. I guarantee you, he can tell you exactly how to handle the weapon uh, that he uses on the SWAT team. Let me tell you the reason why they familiarize themselves with it. If we're gonna know how to handle it then we better know something about it. Amen. The sword of the Spirit. Just because Jesus was the Son of God doesn't mean his temptations weren't real. He had laid aside his divine powers. He faced Satan as a man in human flesh using the sword of the Spirit. All of his quotations are directly from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. I wonder that morning when Jesus woke up if his daily Bible reading was in Deuteronomy. Are you with me tonight? You you see, we get this concept that Jesus was God and that that, that Jesus never battled, that no Jesus was man. Yes, he was God, but he was man. Think about this, he didn't try to win against Satan using his human reason. He did not debate Satan through an intellect or willpower. Jesus used the very same sword that you've got laying in your lap tonight. What about that? Think about this with me. He didn't use in excess uh, or he did not exercise his divine power. He simply used the word of God to defeat Satan. Now here's the good news. If God or Jesus, the God man, used the word of God to defeat Satan and I have the word of God, somebody give me a witness. I don't have to be defeated by Satan. I can defeat Satan. Now, I'm not saying that Satan's not a powerful person because he is. We know that. But listen to me tonight. We can overcome him. Matter of fact, what did the Bible say? Here's what the Bible said in the book of Revelation. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And the love not the life, none unto death. Watch this tonight. Notice Satan's attack against Christ. Let me show you three things about it. Number one tonight, Satan's attack against Christ. And and, I want to say this. I want to say this to you. We need to know how to use our weapon tonight. I I, I don't mean this ugly and I hope I'm wrong, but there might be somebody in here tonight that the only time you ever open your Bible is when you come to church. Man, I hope not. You're never going to be familiar with the Word of God. You're never going to be familiar with the Word of God if that's the only time you ever open it. Look at this with me tonight. Satan's attack against Christ, number one, here's some things about it. Number one, it was to satisfy a right desire in a wrong way. It was to satisfy, and I'm going to show you how we all face this, to satisfy a right desire in the wrong way. Verse number two and three, the Bible says, "And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hunger. that's his humanity. It's showing Jesus hungry. Uh, after I've fasted four hours, I'm hungry, but anyway, I should have got a bunch of Amen's way, some of y'all look out there. And, <laughs> and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, make these stones be made bread. What is he doing? He is tempting him with the right desire in a wrong way. He's saying if you really are God, then make these stones Be made bread. Watch this. Jesus had a real body. Jesus had real desires. He got very hungry in those 40 days. He had a natural appetite. His taste buds would water with the thought of food, no doubt. Jesus could have satisfied a a legitimate desire, but in an illegitimate way. Are you hearing me tonight? So Satan tempted him to use his power to produce instant food. Now we're all, uh, we're all very well aware of instant food in our day. Matter of fact, for what some of y'all eat for supper may have been instant foods. You walked over to the microwave or to the, the freezer. You got it out of the freezer. You walked to the microwave. You tossed it in the microwave. And you warmed it up for probably about 90 seconds and all of a sudden you've got a healthy meal. I've never figured that one out. But you've got a healthy meal. Instant food. I want to say this to you tonight. Did Jesus have... The power to do that? Absolutely. Jesus could turn the desert stones into bread. Matter of fact, just a little bit later on, he would demonstrate that he could change water into wine and that he could take just a few loaves and fishes and feed thousands of people. He had the power and why not use it? The desire for food was innocent but strong. The need was imperative and he had the power to secure in instant relief. Jesus' response was this. Watch it in verse number four. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There's power in the word of God. It is a sword that fights against Satan and it's a sword that fights against the lust. Of the flesh. That's what he was tempting him with was the lust of the flesh. You remember he was to satisfy a right desire in the wrong way. It matters not if you are right or left handed. It matters not if you're a highly trained or if you're new in Christianity. What matters is that we do have an offensive weapon and it is the word of God. It applies to everybody across the board the same way. Think about this. That right desire in a wrong way when you think about you and I we have the exact same things. Let me show you a couple things. Now stay with me right here. Eden inside of everybody, and I'm going to be careful how I say this, but stay with me. There is a sexual desire. They are normal and natural. But God made them to be with the right species, the right gender, and within the bounds of marriage. Amen. You're just not an animal roaming around. Satan attempts to turn the normal desire into adultery and fornication. To satisfy a right desire in a wrong way. What about this? Ambition. personally, I wish more people expressed this natural desire to work and improve oneself. But Satan turns ambition into covetousness, greed, and selfishness. Amen. What about sleep and rest? We need to take time to replenish our strength. But Satan urges us to take it to the extreme of laziness and slothfulness. To accomplish a right desire in the wrong way. What about eating? I didn't figure I'd get no amens right there. Yes, we need food. We're going to take one of those 10 minute lap sessions, okay? Yes, we need food. But we do not meet the need for food by stealing are you with me tonight? That would be satisfying a right desire in the wrong way. Also, we eat to live. No problem. But Satan wants us to live to eat. And that's called gluttony. Hey man, I went on a diet today, okay? I did. I have not had a Red Bull all day. I've not had a almond joy all day. And to be real honest with you, if you want to know how I'm feeling inside, I could throw this pulpit through the door. <laughs> but it's the truth. Satan tries his best to get us to satisfy our right desire in the wrong way. What did he say in Psalms 119.11? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. For every temptation that you have, for every problem that you face, there is Bible to help you with that. So what was it? I would say Satan's attack against Christ was to satisfy right desire in the wrong way. But he was to perform a sin of presumption. A sin of presumption. Look what he said in verse number five. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. There's the pride of life. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Satan pulls out a quote from Psalms 91 Verse number 11, but he left out half of the verse. Here's what it says in Psalms ninety-one eleven: For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. He left that part out to keep thee in all thy ways. The child of God has the protection of God. Just jump off. The angels will take care of you. Presumption. The child of God has the protection of God as long as they're in the will of God. Can I say that again? As long as they're in the will of God, somebody gets out of the will of God, they get out of church, and and, and that's the first step just to completely messing your life up if you're saved is getting out of church. Now, everybody in here ought to say amen because you're in church tonight, okay? But there's a lot of people that's got out of church through this. And, and, and the people get out of church. They get out of the will of God. I, I don't mean this ugly, but I guarantee you a lot of those has not picked their sword up since the last time they was at church. They get out of the will of God, and then something bad happens in their life. And here's what they say. I just don't understand. The Lord said he'd take care of us all the time. No, the protection of God is for those in the will of God. The sin of presumption. When we get out of God's will, His grace will forgive us, but His government will allow us to suffer the consequences. Be not deceived, God is not moth, whatsoever, man. So that shall he also reap. That shall he also reap. You can get out of the will of God and get right with God and get back in the will of God, but that does not stop the chastening hand of God on our life. Think about this with me. I read one writer on this, and here's what he said. He said, if I jump off of a 15-story building, it is a mistake. If in midair I admit my mistake and ask God to forgive me, well, he will. Yes, no doubt he will. But somebody's still got to clean up the mess. Somebody's still got to clean up the mess. Presumption. Satan will come to us and make us think that it'll be okay. Satan will come to us, and and let me just preach to young people for a second that's not married. Satan will come to you and say, it's all right. He'll make you presume that everything will be all right if you come together out of wedlock and there's this protection and that protection. or You can just murder your baby. It'll all be all right. God will forgive you for that. It's presumption. God may forgive you, but you'll never forgive yourself. The sin of presumption. Think about this with me tonight. Think about this. Jesus was tempted with the sin of presumption. Purposely putting yourself into a situation where God has to bail you out and do a miracle in order to rescue you is a mistake. Too many times we pray ourselves out of a mistake only to jump right back into it. Only to jump right back into it. I believe God can work miracles and help us recover from our past mistakes. But if it works, should you go out and get right back in it? Well, God forgave me. Well, God says for 1 John 1, 9, how many times do we quote that verse and then go out and willfully sin? Are you with me tonight? What did he say in Romans chapter 6, if I'm not mistaken? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? What did he say? He said, God forbid. Almost positive that's Romans 6. Let me just look real quick. Yes. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And the devil will come to us and have this presumption in our mind. If I do wrong, it's okay because God's going to forgive me. No wrong, still wrong. And there's still the correcting hand of God when we do wrong. Mm. One writer said, "God will grant forgiveness to every man that repents, but He may not grant repentance to every man that sins." His point was simply this. That when you become a willful sinner, you start down a one-way street that is difficult to come home. Christians today want God's promises without God's precepts. And it just don't work that way. It just don't work that way. So Satan attacks Christ to satisfy with satisfying a right desire in the wrong way, to perform a sin of presumption. But then let me show you one more thing. Notice that Christ in verse number 8, or, or Satan in verse number 8, look what he says. Again, the devil taketh him up. Can I just say this? The devil's persistent. He's persistent. He'll come back and come back. You ever met a nagging person? I'm the type of person, if I want to know something, I want to know it right then. Matter of fact, Stephanie and I was talking when she left work today and, uh, about something tomorrow, and she said, well, I'll check, and she said, I'll let you know when I get to church tonight. And I said, okay. She'd been gone about 45 minutes, and I sent her a text message, and I said, hey, did you figure anything out on that? I said, you just know the way my mind works, and she does, because she'd already figured it out, and she told me whenever I asked her. But think about this with me. The devil is persistent, He'll come back again when when Jesus defeated him the first time. Satan just didn't walk off. He came back when he defeated him the second time. He just didn't walk off. He came back. Because you got the victory over sin today don't mean that Satan's not going to come back tomorrow and tempt you all over again because he will. Look at this. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdom of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me number three tonight Satan this attack against Satan was to proceed with a spiritual shortcut a spiritual shortcut he said if you'll just bow down and worship me I'll give you all of this think about this with me. Satan promises Jesus the world. The problem was this. He has already been promised the kingdom of the world. The problem was this. He was the one that created the world. Oh yeah because he is God. In him, Colossians says in him Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead. He was God. Satan says, you don't have to wait. I'm currently the God of this world and will hand you the title, the deed of this earth if you'll just worship me. Can I just say this to you tonight? Jesus was a man. This means he was tempted with patience just like we are. But Jesus wouldn't take a spiritual shortcut. He had come this time For the cross and not a crown. You see, Jesus didn't come for a crown the first time. Oh, but when he comes back the second time, he will receive crowns, plural, because we will cast them back at his feet. And when he comes back in the second coming, uh, that that revelation, the second part of the, the raptures, the first part, and he comes back in that second part, he's coming back with many crowns uh, Plural, many crowns upon his head. Is there anybody else tonight that's thankful that Jesus did not take a shortcut in his spirituality that day and bow down to Satan? He knew that the day would come, that he would be the ruler of all the world, and the crown would be placed upon his head. You see, he tempted him with taking uh, a spiritual shortcut. Seekers today want the crown. Uh, Watch this, without the cross. They want the crown without the cross. Satan's glory always leads to suffering, but God's suffering always leads to glory. I can't promise you your best life now. I won't lie to you and say that God has a wonderful plan for you in your life. If you live a life for Christ, it will probably mean that you will live a life of suffering. Yea, all that live godly shall suffer persecution. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. But think about this. If you pick up your cross daily and follow him, I can promise you the end result will be eternity and an eternity of glory. Don't try to take a spiritual shortcut. Satan's ways always looks the easiest and always looks the best. But at the end of the road, They're always the hardest. They're always the hardest. Matter of fact, Proverbs said this, the way of the transgressor is hard. Satan effectively uses that kind of temptation today. Satan is always offering instant gratitude and instant Uh, gratification and instant glory and instant happiness. He tempts the youth with this temptation. For example, Satan will say why wait until marriage to experience the pleasures of sexual intimacy? I will give it to you right now. And many young people fall to this temptation of Satan. He tempts the young adult with marriage. And many have gotten themselves into marriage that was a human's will instead of God's perfect will. He tempts young preachers. Why wait for the will of God? You deserve it now. You're great. And you, you can out-preach your pastor. Why not go now? He tempts the adults with the pleasures of life. Many have gotten themselves into debt that they'll never repay. All because Satan tempted them with a shortcut. All because Satan tempted them with a shortcut. We need to follow the example of Christ. He maintained loyalty to God and endured the cross and suffering for he knew that beyond the cross was a crown of glory. He knew that beyond the cross was a crown of glory. How did he do that? Come start playing softly. Can I show you how he done that? Look with me in verse number 4. It is written. Look with me in verse number 7. It is written. Look with me in verse number 10. It is written. Tell you the way he done it? He done it with this book right here. God offers us, offers us no other offensive weapon. Everything else is defensive. We've only got one offense, and right there it is tonight. There's nothing wrong with books. Matter of fact, I bought about 40 or 45 today. There's nothing wrong with books. I enjoy reading. Matter of fact, whenever I decided yesterday to start through Philemon, I started buying every book that I could get my hands on that I knew was good books on the book of Philemon. And, and there's very few, very few. I did stumble across a writer that I had never heard of. And, and I, I, I clicked on his book and read part of uh, uh, the, the sample that they gave you. And one thing that I liked about it, in every verse that he quoted, he had parentheses, KJV, parentheses, KJV, parentheses, KJV, and everything already read. He didn't try to correct the KJV. He just used it, and I thought, man, you can't find this much anymore. So you know what I've done today? I just bought everything he had. Bought every book he's wrote. I got it now. That's a good thing about the, the internet. Man, it's just, it's at the click of a button. All of a sudden, there was 45 more books in my tablet now, and I'm tickled to death. There's nothing wrong with books, but here's what we do so many times. We face a problem, and we go directly to a book to see what our favorite writer says about it. There's nothing wrong with that. matter of fact, there's a a few people in here that I've recommended a book to on anxiety that has talked to me about that, that I personally think is a good book on anxiety. And they said that they've got help from that book. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But let me tell you, what we need to run to before we run to a book is the book. That has all the answers for life's problems in it. Right there it is. You say, I got a problem child. Right here's the answer. You say, my marriage is in trouble. Right here's the answer, church. See, I'm dealing with an issue down at the job. Right here's the answer. I promise you somewhere in the pages of these 66 books, God will give you help for what you're facing. God will give you help. We resist with the sword of the Spirit. We, ju- we can't just play defense with our armor. We need an offensive weapon. If it offends Satan, cutting him down to size, we must read it. We must meditate upon it. We must study it. We must hide it in our hearts. We must have it accessible at all times at all times because it is it is our only offensive weapon. That's it. You know what? If Brother Ryan was to get called out tonight kick a door down at a house and make entry into it Had on a ballistic vest, that's great. Had on a Kevlar helmet, that's great. That's all defensive. You know what? He better have a little offensive too. And I'm sure that he would. (laughs) So, preacher, what are you saying? Church, we got to have it. Don't take this home and just lay it down. Don't just pick it up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Read it. Read it. Read a Proverbs every day. There's 31 of them. Read through the book of Proverbs every day. Read some in Psalms every day. Read some in the Gospel of John every day if you want to know what to read. So preach what I need to read. Just start reading the book of John. Get to know who Jesus is. Just read it. Apply it. And I promise you it's what will help you when the battle's raging.